MSW Media. News with swearing. Daily beans, daily beans. Daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Tuesday, June 23rd, 2020. Today, the Department of Justice is investigating a noose left in NASCAR driver Bubba Wallace's garage in Talladega. Public health officials are resigning amid pushback and political threats. Trump didn't say he was joking about slowing down testing at his Tulsa rally, despite multiple White House official statements to the contrary. Chris Steele claims Boris Johnson and Theresa May ignored claims that Trump was a Russian asset. The Washington Post challenges Barr's claim that there's no systematic racism in policing with data. Colorado will strip its police force of qualified immunity. The new U.S. attorney in the Southern District of New York is wasting no time. Uh, Trump has yet to spend the $14 billion set aside for testing and contact tracing. And David Correa, one of the Parnas associates, loses his motion to suppress evidence. Kevin Hassett is leaving the White House. Protests continue over the murder of 18-year-old Andres Guardado and more on the Barr-Berman debacle. I'm your host, A.G. Hey, everybody. Happy Monday um, for Patrons Tuesday for everyone. Uh, Today um, (laughs) is a lot of news. There's a lot of news today. We're going to have Jordan joining us in the A Block. She's going to give us updates on on, uh, um, some of those stories. I just went over some of those headlines. Uh, I will be talking later with Steve Laddick uh, about what was going on with SCOTUS this morning. And then, of course, what's left to decide from SCOTUS in the next uh, eight days. And then, of course, uh, some of the more intricate details about what happened between Barr and Berman in their cage match this weekend. Um, Thank you again, everybody, for uh, listening to uh, the show. And then, of course, everyone who joined us last Friday. We had a few hundred people join us for our uh, meet and greet happy hour. We're going to do it again every Friday. I, until, I don't know, just when we decide to stop. But uh, this Friday, I think the theme is going to be Animal Crossing. I'm not sure yet. Send in your theme ideas to us on our website. You can hit us up at thedailybeanspod.com and uh, click on contact. Let us know what you think. Or you can send them to us on Twitter, at MullerSheWrote or at DailyBeansPod uh, for theme ideas. Basically, we all get together on screen and uh, answer questions. And then we bring some uh, folks on to ask their questions. We bring them on screen to ask questions. Um, it starts at 4 Pacific on Friday for patrons, and then we open it up to the public at 5 for another hour. We quit at 6 because that's when Matto comes on. Uh, again, we have so much news to get to. Uh, it's going to be a packed show, so we let's just kick it off and hit the hot notes. Hot notes. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Jordan's Core and Beans. Good to see ya. Hope everyone's having a great Tuesday, had a great Monday, having a great 3 p.m. whenever you're listening to us. Um, this was a, um, a lot of my A block, as we call them, segments have been filled with a lot of, uh, just across the board, like, horrible and traumatic news and depictions of violence, and I have some good news centered stories in this segment uh there's still going to be some news talking about the realities of what's happening which is by nature very traumatic and and um awful but just letting you know this is going to be a little bit of a good news block too 
So I'll kick it off with uh, something that's happening in Colorado. So the governor of Colorado passed a sweeping law enforcement bill on Friday, and it does a bunch of things that people have been calling for within police departments for a long, long, long time. As we know, all of this demand, all these demands, activism work, um, just organizing, this has been happening for so, so, so long before George Floyd. It's just really at the front of the American mindset presently. But some of the things that got passed in this bill are things that people have been calling for. For example, uh, the banning of those chokeholds, which is something that happened in San Diego, our city too, and it's been happening all around. Uh, not enough, but it has been starting to happen. So that's that's something that happened. Uh, they also, in this bill, ban the use of deadly force for nonviolent offenses. That is most of the offenses. They're not even offenses in these cases where people are being murdered by police. So passing something that's banning the use of deadly force for nonviolent offenses, that is something that has needed to happen for a very long time, and it is good news that they have passed that. Uh, there's, th- and then this is the biggest thing that's coming out of it. So they made it so qualified immunity isn't a, uh, isn't a thing anymore, pretty much. So plaintiffs can bypass qualified immunity. And as we know now, more of us know now, qualified immunity is what really, allows police officers to not be held accountable because they get to just say, oh, well, I thought that I was acting within, you know, my duties as a police officer. And because of that, the courts basically pull back and say, all right, well, the cop thought that they were doing what they were supposed to do. So I guess there's nothing we can do here. And that and qualified immunity is an issue that exists across like all police departments. And there's some history that I read about qualified immunity, Congress, when they enacted the Civil Rights Act of 1871, this was to combat the KKK, uh, people who had their rights violated by local and state government officials, they could sue them for damages in federal court. But then, 100 years later, in 1982, the Supreme Court created qualified immunity, and what the language of that specifically is, is that it shields officers from any legal liability any legal liability unless the rights that they violated were, quote, clearly established. So that's creating a language, law language barrier that is, it's a threshold that's incredibly high to meet, impossibly high to meet in so many cases. So Colorado passing this bill that's addressing chokeholds, it's addressing deadly force and nonviolent offenses, and it's addressing qualified immunity. That's a pretty dope bill. And congratulations to Colorado. And it's it's a start. It's not what has to, it's not the end all be all of what needs to happen, but it is a start and it is a win. And I wanted to kick off the block with that. Next story is coming out of NASCAR. So um, I'm sure everybody has heard this story at this point, but Bubba Wallace, he's NASCAR's only um box i'm not familiar with the nascar lingo forgive me uh let's let's see what is stock car that's the stock car circuits elite cup series that's what i was looking for um he's the only full-time black driver in the stock car circuits elite cup series and 
when they the the first day that they opened up NASCAR to people that could come in um because they've been doing they've been doing stuff without anybody in the stands the the first day that they did that a noose was left in his garage at Talladega Super Speedway that happened on Sunday um it's it's just just tra- traumatizing for him and traumatizing for anybody that that cares to live in a world that is not so violently dedicated to the murder of black people in this country i can't even i I just bubba wallace put out a statement where you know it's reflective of what i'm feeling just so so at a loss for words trying to even imagine how this is this is something that is this still happening and it's happening to him and it's just so awful bubba wallace said that it was a despicable act of racism and hatred that leaves me incredibly saddened and serves as a painful reminder of how much further we have to go as a society and he was supported by nascar president steve phelps he came out with a statement that said unequivocally they will be banned from the sport for life this is talking about the the person that left the news or the people that left the news uh, and he went on to say, there is no room for this at all. We won't tolerate it. They won't be here. So having that sort of, I can't imagine how anybody could possibly not come out with a statement that is like that. And, you know, I'm not going to give this guy cookies for coming out and saying that, but just I'm reporting on the fact that Bubba Wallace is experiencing uh, overwhelming support from the top levels at nascar and all of the people that are around him that work with him uh the fbi was notified the day after that it was found and they are investigating the situation uh they're trying to find out when it happened exactly and and who did it they didn't give any sort of answers they're not giving any sort of answers yet uh but it's just they're in the thick of that investigation so uh we'll follow that and i mean it would also it's impossible to talk about this story specifically without talking about it in the context of Bubba Wallace calling and demanding NASCAR to ban the display of Confederate flags, and he was successful in that pursuit. And then after he was successful in that pursuit, someone leaves a noose in his garage. That is no coincidence. That is a direct act of racial violence that is in retaliation for him standing up for black people in this country, which is unfortunately something that infuriates a lot of nascar fans i don't care if you're a nascar fan you need to own up to the fact that nascar is super popular with a group i mean the fact they even had to ban confederate flags tells you something okay so don't come at me with that fucking all not all nascar shit all right they need to be better there's only one he's the the only black driver in in that circuit in that series so it's like clearly this is a place that has a fuck ton of racism that they need to eradicate and they have a lot of anti-racist work to do. So we'll keep following the development of that story. Uh, the next story is coming out of Los Angeles. Andres Cordado, he was murdered by police in, um, in Los Angeles County and he was a security guard for an auto body shop and he started getting chased by police and then he started running police say that he pulled a firearm but i i've i've just watched 
videos of his sister speaking to the press after saying that she knows for a fact that um, he didn't have his firearm on him. There's still there's still much to be investigated in that that story, clearly. But the point is is it is in the wake of all of these protests and all of this scrutiny that is on law enforcement, there is another case of them murdering someone that didn't do anything. Nothing has come out yet that is suggested that he did anything. It's the same case as it is in all of these other instances that we're talking about, that there's no, absolutely no basis for them to murder people. And it happened again, and people are going to the streets. They took to the streets. And what happened after they took to the streets was they marched to Compton. It was a four-mile march. They marched to the, the sheriff's station in Compton. And what's what it reads like is similarly to, to what a lot of people have experienced at protests is the cops are asking people, you know, very, very quickly with not a lot of notice to back up. And the second they decide that they're not doing it fast enough, they start shooting the crowd with rubber bullets and they start firing tear gas into the crowd. And that's exactly what they did there. There's remarks from people that were there just completely baffled at how they got the orders from cops to pull people back. And there were people within the crowd that were trying to pull people back away from the police and were trying, trying to keep them away. And in the middle of them trying to do that, in the middle of them trying to heed the orders of the officers, the officers opened fire of rubber bullets and tear gas into the crowd. This is a quote from someone at the scene. She said, I tried to get them to come back by them, the protesters. They just wouldn't stop shooting. And now here we are getting shot, getting tear gassed, and we're supposed to be here in memory of Andres. And I know that there's, you know, like, I think the truth in quotes, um, you know, falls falls somewhere in between of these reports that you hear of peaceful protesters like literally doing absolutely nothing and then just un- entirely unprovoked getting shot with rubber bullets and getting shot with tear gas. Granted, I will say I know for a fact that that does also happen. But from my personal experience, when the San Diego protests in at Waterfront Park one one day that I had talked about previously on the podcast, how that how that escalated again in quotes, 100% was escalated by police. But they just they just sit there. They want it to escalate, so they sit there waiting for one person to do one thing. That they could say, oh, that's the thing, open fire, and then they do. And that's exactly what happened in San Diego, and I would not be surprised to hear if that's similar to what happened there. But, like, one, like one person, you know, or a couple people walking towards the entrance of, of a building, for example, or maybe, like, one guy throws a rock. You see these photos of police departments posting projectiles that were recovered from the scene at the protest, and they're, like, literally pebbles, dude. They're like little fucking pebbles. And those are the projectiles that they're using to then justify the force of unleashing a wave of rubber bullets and a huge cloud of tear gas onto a crowd. It's just completely... You cannot justify it. You cannot justify it. And it's still happening. And all of this shit is still happening. People are still getting murdered in the streets for nothing. There is no change 
that has happened yet that is even remotely on the road to getting us to a place where their conduct is acceptable. They're still murdering people in the streets and they're still firing at protesters who are there peacefully a huge majority of the time and they're escalating situations to the point where they find justifications to unleash those rubber bullets and sometimes i mean it's not even just rubber bullets and tear gas which are fucking weapons of war it's like the the tear gas and it's it's chemical weapons but but there's the woman in la mesa in san diego who got a beanbag shot into her forehead and she still is blind in one eye and like it's just it's so fucking just keep just keep going keep pushing you know we talk about the changes that are happening and it's it's there are steps there 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 are these you know steps that are huge wins and huge victories but the fight is so far from over and all of the shit is still happening so please do not relent don't step back keep stepping in we all have to transform ourselves into anti-racists all the time I'm not saying everyone has to drop their career and then go become an attorney or whatever and, you know, work on whatever specific issue they they wanted to take on or something or, like, run for office, you know. Anti-racism work is something that every single person needs to embody and obviously every single person can't become a lawyer or can't become, you know, a judge or or whatever avenue, you know, you might deem is, like, a a dedicating your, your career and life's work to anti-racism everyone has to find a way to be an anti-racist in what they do and how they exist and right now that means staying engaged i think for for non-black people um and continuing to sign petitions donate money educate yourself show up when you can where you can that's the only way that's 100 percent the only way that this is going to become a sustainable change um that is so incredibly long overdue in this country it it makes me truly sick okay my final story it's coming out of the man who makes me the sickest bill barr uh bill barr he has come out and said that he doesn't believe there's any systemic racism in policing as has a lot as uh as has as have a lot of Trump's people that are in his upper circle. Um, what's coming out now is something, you know, it's it's data that's been coming out a lot over the last century. Anybody that's been examining any sort of instances of police brutality, but it, it clearly, you know, we're only starting to see these studies be funded and conducted and presented in a more mainstream way, so to speak, over the last um, couple decades. But there's one that's coming out. That's coming out of our, uh, the Stanford Open Policing Project. They collect and analyze data on police traffic stops across the country, and they spent over ten thousand hours looking at policing data. And they have published some really just in your face. Cannot dispute them findings that demonstrate how racist cops are in the context of traffic stops specifically um what they what they have found is police treat black and hispanic drivers differently from 
identically behaving white drivers. They analyzed data from 100 million traffic stops occurring from 2011 to 2018 across 21 state patrol police agencies and 35 city police departments. So this is a really extensive study. It's one of the largest that's ever been conducted. And what they're what they're finding, they found a, a whole bunch of things, but but some of the main things they found is, is that officers racially profile drivers which is not a surprise but it's something this data is really important because you have so many trolls that will hear you say that and they say oh i want to see the proof you can't say that and then they try to like you know give you some sort of bullshit argument for why that's not true this is hard 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 studied proof that it is absolutely true one of the things for example that they looked at to prove this was so if you're going to racially profile someone, it's harder to do that when it's nighttime because visibility is lower, right? So if you're judging someone based off of how they look and then you take away the sunlight and you can't see them as well, the presumption is that the instances of them stopping black and Hispanic people at higher rates than white people will go down because their ability to profile goes down. This study proves exactly that. That's exactly what happens. So that's one of the main findings from that. They examined this idea of racial profiling through traffic stops through various angles. That was one of the angles. They also found evidence of racial bias in cops' decisions to search a driver after stopping them. Black and Hispanic drivers are searched at lower thresholds, lower thresholds of evidence, not lower rates, lower thresholds of evidence, when they were less likely to be carrying contraband. So they organ- they looked at all of this data. They found that white drivers were searched only when they had at least a 10% chance of carrying contraband compared to 5% for black and Hispanic drivers. So there's, I really encourage, I'll, I'll read the name again and maybe we can share it in our newsletter. We have those um, for patrons or we can we can tweet it out or, or something, but it's a study, uh, it's part of the Stanford Open Policing Project. This is reporting that's coming out of Washington Post and you can easily google it but yeah we'll find a way to just give you that link but i think that that kind of data is is so important to consume so you can have it in your back pocket also uh you know once you've really digested and understood it for yourself and then you can tell it to people that you're in a conversation with maybe you know hopefully if that comes up and those fucking trolls like i said that that need need hard evidence that america's racist which is just so hilarious it's like needing to prove to someone that the sky is blue it's so infuriating we were literally founded on slavery it's like the most undeniable fact of this country but for the people that demand facts here's a bunch of facts so super important to read that stuff um and and share it share it widely because facts have and especially are now uh they're they've been under attack and it's facts you know as much as we can come back at people with facts even though we shouldn't have to it's one of the tactics that we can use so it's important to know those facts so look that up we'll send out the link thank you everybody this has been corn beans have a great tuesday and rest of your day we'll talk to you tomorrow after these messages we'll be right back 
Hey everybody, it's AG, and this episode of Daily Beans is brought to you by BetterHelp. Is there something that's interfering with your happiness uh, or that's preventing you from achieving your goals? BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and you can start communicating in less than 24 hours. BetterHelp is not a crisis line. It is not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. Everybody needs a little help from time to time. As you all know, I've personally sought help for my PTSD, and I highly recommend seeking help when you need it. These are anxious times that we live in. Uh, BetterHelp service is available for clients worldwide with a broad range of expertise in their counselor network, which you might not have available to you locally. Uh, You can log into your account anytime. You can send a message to your counselor. You get timely and thoughtful responses, or you can schedule weekly uh, video or phone sessions so you don't have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. And it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. Uh, Visit their website and read their testimonials, like this one uh, from S.O., who says, uh, Dr. Watley has been extremely patient and respectful throughout this entire time. I can't thank her enough for guiding me to realizing and learning a lot that enables me to make better decisions. So visit BetterHelp.com slash Daily Beans. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, and join the over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Special offer for Daily Beans listeners, you get 10% off your first month. So go to BetterHelp.com slash Daily Beans. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It is AG. It's time for some headlines from under the radar, Uh, including this one from The Washington Post. The public health workers already underfunded and understaffed are confronting waves of protests at their homes and offices, in addition to pressure from politicians who favor a faster reopening. Of course, we've heard about this, but The Washington Post here goes into some details about some specifics. Uh, Lori Tremel Freeman, chief executive of the National Association of County and City Health Officials, Uh, said more than 20 health officials have been fired, resigned, or have retired in recent weeks, quote, due to conditions related to having to enforce and stand up for strong public health tactics during this pandemic. Uh, Although shutdown measures are broadly popular, uh, a vocal minority opposes them quite loudly, and there have been attacks on officials' race, gender, sexual orientation, and appearance uh, from that small vociferous group. Uh, Freeman said some of the criticisms seem to be harsher for women. You don't say. Uh, Marcus Plesha, a chief medical officer at the Association of State and Territorial Health Officials, said attacks on health officials have been particularly awful in California, Colorado, Georgia, Ohio, and Pennsylvania. This month in California, Nicole Quick, Orange County's chief health officer, uh, stepped down after she faced threats and protests at her home for requiring face coverings in businesses, many businesses, as cases rose. The mandate issued May 23rd was softened to a recommendation a week later. Uh, Andrew Neumer, a professional of public health at the University of California at Irvine, uh, who was part of a county task force, said it was not the first time Quick had been undermined. Uh, On March 17th, which is, by the way, when our our lockdown went into effect in California, Quick issued a strict lockdown order. A day later, it was amended to add exceptions. Quote, it was couched as a clarification, but it was a walk back. Um, Quick's departure is part of a a larger exodus of public health officials across the country who've been blamed by both citizens and politicians for their disruptions uh, caused by the coronavirus coronavirus pandemic. Uh, Ohio's public health director, Amy Acton, we've heard of her. She uh, shifted to an advisory role after enduring months of anger against the state's preventive measures, including armed protesters at her home bearing messages including anti-Semitic and sexist slurs. One Republican lawmaker linked Acton, who is Jewish, 
to Nazi Germany. Another called her a dictator. Uh, Georgia's public health director said last month that she receives threats daily and now has an armed escort for doing her job to save lives. Pennsylvania Secretary of Health, who is transgender, has come under fire for the state's handling of the pandemic, including from a county official who resigned uh, after saying at a recent meeting that he was tired of listening to a guy dressed up as a woman. I don't know, this sounds a little bit to me like people who just hate people for other reasons and blaming it on this. Mm. But there are so many public health officials that are being just chased out, scared for their lives. Um, For public health officials in Colorado... Um, four of them in Colorado have left their jobs recently. And uh, a day after telling political leaders in Weld County, Colorado, that their insistence on a speedy reopening, despite a high case rate and widespread transmission, was giving him serious heartburn, public health director Mark Wallace got a 7.30 p.m. email. Uh, he had until 9 a.m. to weigh in on guidelines for reopening businesses, quote, churches, salons, restaurants, etc. Um, they would go public an hour later. And Wallace, who declined to comment for this article, retired soon after that. Teresa Anselmo, executive director of the Colorado Association of Local Public Health Officials, said 80 percent of members had reported being threatened uh, and more uh, than that were at risk of termination uh, or lost funding. Eighty percent reported being threatened and more than 80 percent were at risk of being fired or losing funding. That's mind boggling considering most people are cool with staying at home and wearing masks. Not everyone is left willingly. Uh, in Colorado's Rio Grande County, Emily Brown was fired. She says after advocating a more cautious response to the virus, what a terrible person, right? Mm. Public health workers in California have also been battered publicly by business groups, ordinary citizens, and elected officials. Several have resigned. After Los Angeles County health official Barbara Ferrer Uh, held a news conference on May 13th, for example, saying that a stay-at-home order um, may may remain in place for three more months. A doctored photo of her with dark circles under her eyes made its way across uh, the Internet. One tweet, uh, liked or retweeted more than 100,000 times, called her the most unhealthy-looking person I've ever seen, unquote. And, of course, we know about this. The full-page ad in the local newspaper, a business council accused Santa, Clara's, uh, Santa Clara County's public health officer, Sarah Cody, of, quote, cratering our economy for being the first in the nation to oppose, impose a shelter-in-place order. The local sheriff is now investigating threats against her. So having worked in public health myself for over a decade, this shit needs to stop. This is... is I just don't... Uh, these... People have dedicated their lives to be of service to the public, to save lives. Um, it's just, and it's such a small group of people causing such problems. Um, no doubt uh, Trump's throwing gasoline on that fire. Uh, but in more coronavirus news, speaking of Trump, he uh, has yet to distribute nearly $14 billion intended to help state and local governments improve coronavirus testing and contact tracing. That's according to two top Democrats. You have to wonder why, especially since over the weekend he, you know, said, uh, I told him to slow down testing. And he said on multiple occasions, I started tweeting this on March 12th, that he clearly wants to make the numbers better by not telling you what they are. 
Um, at, you know, I think the first big public news story that came out about that from his own fucking mouth was when he said, I don't want that cruise ship to dock in Oakland, California, because it's going to increase my numbers. And that looks bad for my reelection. But then, of course, um, you know, he, he, many, many White House officials came out and said, uh, you know, oh, he was joking. That was tongue in cheek. I remember seeing Pete Navarro on a, on a news program laughing, gaslighting us like, you dumb, dumb fucks. Come on. He's just, that's so tongue in cheek. You can't even see that. Just gaslighting us like we're fucking nuts. And, uh, of course, Trump was asked again today in an interview about, about that. Did you really tell people to slow down the testing? And he he didn't say he was joking. Uh, he said, so he just pivoted and said something about, we have the best testing. And the more testing, the more cases. But anyway, these two top Democrats um, sent a letter to Health and Human Services Secretary Azer. Uh, and these two Democrats are Schumer and uh, Patty Murray, who is a Senate Health Committee ranking member, Democrat from Washington. Uh, said the administration needs to immediately distribute the funding. This is the $14 billion for testing to local and state governments. And of course, actually, I have his quote here from this from this um, this interview that he did today when he was asked um, if he was if he told people to slow down testing, and he he said. If testing did slow down, frankly, I think we're way ahead of ourselves. If you want to know the truth, we've done too good of a job. So he wasn't kidding. He hasn't been kidding the last 10 times he's insinuated that he wants less testing. He's talked about testing being bad. Remember when somebody in Pence's chief of staff or somebody tested positive and he was like, she was testing great for a minute and then boom, she tested bad. I thought for a second he was going to blame coronavirus on the testing. I, I swear to God. I would not put it past him for, can you hear, I can hear him saying, everyone knows that we wouldn't have as many uh, cases. Testing causes the spread. It, you know, you put the swab up and you pull it out and it, coronavirus goes everywhere. If it weren't for testing, we'd, we'd have much lower numbers. Maybe, maybe that's what he means. Testing causes coronavirus. I can hear him say it. Uh, and uh, White House economic advisor Kevin Hassett is leaving the administration this summer after only a few months. He previously served the White on the White House Economic Council and returned to the administration this spring to assist with Trump's response to the coronavirus pandemic. Um, this comes on the heels of another economic advisor, Andrew Olmum, uh, leaving his job on the Economic Council in recent days. Uh, but uh, Hassan was one of the folks promoting the use of face masks in the White House and giving more dire warnings about the impact of extended shutdowns on the on the economy. Uh, he was also one of the voices calling for another economic aid package, which Republicans are blocking uh, in the Senate. Mitch McConnell, um, Kentucky vote. And uh, this is interesting. Christopher Steele's back in the news alleging in um, there. He, he basically in some secret evidence that was given to members of parliament um, members of parliament, by the way, who authored their Russia report. Uh, Chris Steele says Boris Johnson and Theresa May ignored claims that the Kremlin had a likely hold over Donald Trump and may have covertly funded Brexit. From The Guardian today, quote, in testimony to MPs, the MI6 veteran accused the government, led by May, and in which Johnson was a foreign secretary for two years, of turning a blind eye to allegations about Trump because they were afraid of offending the president. Steele first uh, pre uh, presented a dossier about Trump to senior U.K. intelligence figures in late 2016. 
uh, who he says took it seriously at first, but he writes, on reaching top political decision makers, a blanket appeared to be thrown over it. The allegation is contained in a short summary of a larger file of information presented in August of 2018 by Steele to Parliament's Intelligence and Security uh, Committee, ISC, uh, inquiring into Kremlin infiltration into British politics and public life. Steele accuses May's government of selling British uh, interests short by not taking matters further. Quote, in this case, political considerations seem to outweigh national security interests. If so, in my view, HMG made a serious mistake in balancing matters of strategic importance to our country. Steele's summary evidence uh, is likely to raise concerns that Downing Street may have suppressed the ISC's final Russia report to avoid embarrassing questions in the run-up to the election and afterwards as Britain left the EU. Although uh, Number 10 Downing Street is consistently denied that this is the case, uh, these include whether Russia attempted to interfere in the 2016 EU referendum in support of Brexit and whether Vladimir Putin holds compromising information on Trump, who is Boris Johnson's ally. And breaking right now, um, a U.S. Army soldier has been charged with terrorism offenses uh, for planning a deadly ambush on service members in his own unit by sending sensitive U.S. military information to members of a Nazi group, a neo-Nazi group intended to facilitate a mass casualty uh, on his unit. Audrey Strauss, the brand new, shiny new acting U.S. Uh, attorney in the Southern District of New York, uh, after this weekend's Bar Berman shenanigans, she announced today the unsealing of an indictment against Ethan uh, Melzer for giving his unit's location, strength, and armaments to the Order of the Nine Angles, or O9A. That's an occult-based, neo-Nazi, racially motivated, violent extremist group. The FBI and the Army thwarted his plot in late May uh, of this year. Melzer, 22 years old, of Louisville, Kentucky, is charged with conspiring to murder U.S. nationals, attempting to murder U.S. nationals, uh, conspiring to murder U.S. military service members, attempting to provide and providing material support to terrorists, and conspiring to murder and maim uh, in a foreign country. He faces life in prison for many of those counts. And finally, David Correa, one of the guys indicted alongside the Parnas and Freeman show in the impeachment-linked campaign finance case, has lost his motion to suppress evidence under attorney-client privilege. That case is still ongoing in the Southern District. And speaking of the Southern District, it appears the new U.S. attorney, uh, who has, you know, who was formerly the deputy, uh, Audrey Strauss, is, is putting the pedal to the metal, as you heard in that last case, unsealing this indictment against uh, Melzer. And uh, we'll have more by the way, on the Bar Berman cage match from the weekend, as well as the SCOTUS calendar with Steve Laddick after this break. So stay with us. Hey friends, it's AG, and this portion of Daily Beans is brought to you by Ritual. In these quarantine times, it's more important than ever to focus on nutrition, health, and keeping our immune system strong. And that's why I want to share with you my new ritual, the obsessively researched vitamin for women called Ritual. Ritual's Essentials has all the nutrients most of us don't get enough of from food, and it has them in all their clean, absorbable forms. So there's no shady additives or weird ingredients that end up doing more harm than good. Uh, these are just two easy-to-take capsules that provide nine nutrients you need to support a strong foundation for your health. I started taking Ritual, what, a year and a half ago, and I feel more energy, I have more clarity. Mentally, I feel good knowing that I'm actually getting all the vitamins my body needs. Uh, I'm finally taking them daily again, and that's just really important to me, especially trying to keep up 
you know, uh, my immune system here. Their no-nausea capsule design is gentle on an empty stomach, which is great, and there's a mint tab in every bottle to keep things fresh so you don't get that fishy aftertaste common with most omega-3s. Ritual uses vegan-friendly, sugar-free, non-GMO, gluten-free, and allergen-free ingredients. Uh, Ritual is delivered directly to you, and a subscription is easy to start, it's easy to snooze, and it's only a dollar a day. You have all the nutrients your body needs. No strings attached. Better health doesn't happen overnight. Right now, Ritual is offering my listeners 10% off during your first three months. Fill in the gaps in your diet with Essential for Women, a small step that helps support a healthy foundation for your body. Visit Ritual.com slash Daily Beans to start your Ritual today. That's 10% off during your first three months at Ritual.com slash Daily Beans. All right, everybody, welcome back. So this morning on the left coast, I was up at the crack of dawn for SCOTUS orders, uh, which happen at 6.30 my time, and the decisions come at 7, which is... What's that? 9.30 and 10 on the East Coast. Uh, but only one decision came out um, at 7, leaving 14 to go before the end of this term, which is usually June 30th. And joining me today to discuss is Dalton Cross Professor in Law at the University of Texas School of Law and CNN contributor Steve Vladek. Steve, thanks for joining me today. Anytime. So can you tell us about the, first of all, the one decision SCOTUS announced today, and then maybe tell us whether it's normal to have 14 outstanding decisions this late in June. Yeah, I mean, so the only case we got from the Supreme Court today was a case called uh, Liu versus Securities and Exchange Commission. Um, and it's just a pretty technical case about the kinds of penalties that the SEC is allowed to obtain um, when they've successfully pursued a conviction for securities violations. Basically, for an eight-to-one court, Justice Sotomayor says um, disgorgement of ill-gotten gains um, is an available remedy, even though the statute doesn't expressly say so. So not exactly a barn burner and not exactly one of the you know, high-profile cases we were all waiting for, but I'm sure there are you know, securities lawyers all over the country who were you know, just sitting anxiously by their computers waiting for this one. <laughs> and it, what, what's disgorgement mean? Uh, basically, can you force someone to basically uh, give up any ill-gotten gains, like money they made from insider trading, things like that. So basically just like just how far can the SEC go to to claw back um, things that you did wrongly and what you benefited from them. Uh-huh. Um, to, the, to the broader question, I mean, I, it is not unusual for the court to have somewhere in the ballpark of a dozen cases left this late in the term. You know, the pattern for the court historically um, is that the April session is usually the last argument session, and we don't usually get most of the opinions from that till the end of June. Like two months is about, you know, the fastest the court turns things around. You know, this year is complicated in two respects. Um, on the one hand, the court ended up hearing 10 fewer cases than it was expecting to because of coronavirus. On the other hand, coronavirus not only interfered with the court's operations for quite a while, but pushed 10 arguments, including you know, the two big Trump uh, financial records cases um, into May, um, the first time the court had heard May arguments in a very long time. So, you know, given the circumstances, I'm not surprised that we still have 14 decisions to go. Um, you know, I think it's the, the court always aspires to be done by the last week in June, but there's no statute, there's no court rule that requires them to be done by then. It's just that they usually like to get out of town you know, for their summer vacations. And I think this year, that's less of a concern. Ah, yes, because going on vacation is also something that's been put off by coronavirus. Indeed. Uh, So there are really no rules determining uh, when SCOTUS releases their decisions. And so that we could see decisions later than we normally see them. I think that you tweeted, 
96 was the last time we had a decision after June 30th, and 1986 was the last time we had a decision after the 4th of July. But we could see that this time because of the coronavirus concerns and probably the lack of people trying to get out early. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't shock me if this pushes into, you know, even say, um, what, the week of July 6th. Um, I'd be surprised if it went much further than that because, you know, the way it works behind the scenes, the court has all of these internal deadlines for when whoever's assigned the majority opinion is supposed to circulate their draft, for when concurrences and dissents have to be circulated. And so, you know, even with the coronavirus added delay of the 10 cases that were argued in May, you know, that's really only pushed the arguments back about two weeks um, at the most. And so, you know, I'd be surprised if we're not done by the week of July 6th. I just, I wouldn't be surprised if we're not done next week. Yeah, I was, I was thinking that as well. And of course, I just wanted to waylay any concerns by my listeners. A lot of people have lost a lot of faith in a lot of our systems and are thinking that there's something untoward going on here with the delays. But I, I, I'm with you. I think it's just things got pushed back and here we are and we will get the decisions. It's not, uh, yeah. And, and I mean, and, and just, you know, I think also, you know, there are a lot of folks for whom watching the court this carefully is a new, is a new calling. Um, whereas, you know, I think those of us who've been doing it for longer than we'd like to admit, um, you know, this sort of end of June, when will they be done thing happens every year because the court always picks the last Monday in June as the last, you know, designated argument, uh, uh, what, what's called a non-argument day. So a day where they're planning to be in session but not have argument. Um, and they almost never make that deadline. Like usually the last, you know, five, ten years, they've had to go later at least into that week. Um, and so that's that's next Monday. And I think, you know, the chances that we get 14 decisions between now and 10 o'clock next Monday are slim. Um, you know, the chances we get 14 by the end of next week are a little higher. But I don't think it would be shocking if, you know, we got we went one week further. I, I do think folks should not be worried that it's going to go much past that. This is not a court that's going to try to hide the ball. They're not going to push these cases over to the fall. You know, they're, these cases will be decided, you know, my best guess is no later than the week of July 6th, mm-hmm. and most of them before then. Mm-hmm. And and I know that they can also say, all right, if, if they come out July 6th and say, here's a few, and we're going to do the rest on Friday or Thursday. I mean, that, that's common as well. Yeah, I mean, so the way this works is, you know, the, the court issues guidance um, through its public information office, which goes to the Supreme Court press corps. Um, and the guidance usually tells us when the next decision day is. And then also the guidance will tell us when the last decision day is. So we can never predict which opinions are coming until we've been told that, oh, the next day is the last day, because then we know everything mm-hmm. left is coming. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, we're all, you know, we're all guessing at 10 o'clock, you know, each morning that the court's issuing opinions, what's going to come over the transom. Yeah. And it's also highly, highly, highly unlikely that anyone in the executive branch or anyone outside of SCOTUS would know of the decisions ahead of the announcement of the decisions. Because I know I've seen a lot of speculation about that. And I just that's just not something that that's just not something that leaks. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, it's DC is the leakiest town I know, but, um, Historically, you know, there I mean, there are examples, A.G., historically of, you know, one or two notorious times when someone was tipped off about a case that was coming. But you can basically count them on one hand. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the, this is a place where the justices have virtually no incentive to leak. The clerks have absolutely no incentive to leak. Um, and so, you know, the reality is the chances that anyone really knows what's coming until the last day um, tend to be remarkably slim. Yeah. Okay, great. And and before I let you go here, I wanted to ask you just a bit about the press secretary uh, McEnany's statement today that Trump sought to install Jay Clayton in the Southern District <laughs> just to give him a job. He was moving to New York. We just wanted to give him a job. How does that even track, first of all, when we have a blue slip process? And second of all, you, you, uh, you know, under that statute, you don't remove Berman because he was judge appointed until you have a confirmed person. So that just that answer doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, none of this makes any sense. The, the, the number <laughs> okay, of fair, different, fair. <laughs> I mean, you know, at this point, the number of different explanations we've been given for what I think looks pretty obvious to all of us of what happened. Um, you know, I mean, to make a long story short, Jay Clayton is not going to be the next U.S. attorney for the Southern District. Um, and the reason for that is because, you know, the Senate, even though it's gotten rid of blue slips um, for judicial appointments, still has them for U.S. attorneys. And that means that you can't have a U.S. attorney confirmed to any U.S. attorneyship in the country unless the two senators from that state both consent. Um, I don't think Chuck Schumer or Kristen Gillibrand are going to be consenting to this. So, you know, Clayton's not going anywhere. But as you say, A.G., even if they somehow managed to convince those two pretty staunchly Democratic senators to support a guy with no prosecutorial experience who goes golfing with Trump for that you know, particular job, that's fine. They still wouldn't have needed to do what they did to Berman mm-hmm. because, you know, Berman under the statute, 28 U.S.C. 546D, would have kept serving in his job only until the Senate confirmed Jay Clayton. So, you know, I think I, I think they really got caught with their pants down here and have just struggled ever since the firestorm erupted Friday night to come up with a remotely plausible explanation mm-hmm. for why they forced Berman out when they did, for why they thought they could install, you know, this guy Carpenito, um, and for why they thought it was so important to get Jay Clayton into a job that not only is he not qualified for, but that he has no chance of being confirmed by the Senate for. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to figure out the motives here because, I mean, you know, wondering whether or not Barr knew he couldn't fire Berman because only Trump can do that. Uh, but but he, he, how, how could he have not known that? I, I think so. I, I, I mean, low though I am to try to get into Bill Barr's head, um, you know, I think he probably assumed that Berman would go quietly. Um, right. That, you know, he probably walked away from the conversation he had with Berman in person on Friday that I think has been you know, reported, um, you know, thinking that Berman understood that he was going to get pushed out. And so if Barr just sort of played nice as he tried to in the Friday night press release, you know, Berman would just disappear. I think Barr was surprised first that Berman pushed back. Um, and second, that, you know, the sort of entire legal community balked not just at firing Berman, but at the notion that he could install Carpenito as Berman's successor. I mean, because I think, you know, whatever else one thinks about Jeff Berman, I think what really offended a lot of folks in that office was the notion that they'd oust Berman and bring in this outsider to take over when you have a perfectly competent deputy in Audrey Strauss, you know, who by tradition, by regulation, would have been the natural person to take over on a temporary basis once Berman was ousted. So I think Barr just honestly grossly misunderstood what Berman was going to do and grossly overplayed his hand. 
Um, and, you know, that, I think, says as much about him as if this were all just malicious all the way down, um, which is, you know, I think I think these folks are drinking the Kool-Aid of the news and media sphere that they consume and don't realize that there are plenty of people out there who don't think the way they do and who don't see, you know, vast deep state conspiracies behind every you know government official. <laughs> yeah, it was um, I, I, I guess then it just boils down to incompetence on uh, or misunderstand. I mean, I don't understand how you would misunderstand talking to Berman and, and saying, hey, we're let you got to go. Uh, however, that needs to happen. And and Barr not understanding Berman when he says, well, you're going to have to get Trump to do it, because I'm assuming that's what he said. Uh, or just, OK, taken under consideration and then didn't tell him what he was going to do and then surprised him the next day. It's weird. Right. And then I mean, I mean, the, the other I mean, the other piece of this is and then Barr sending that letter and then Trump saying never heard of it. I mean, the, <laughs> I mean, these guys can't get out of their own way. But, you know, I, I, I'll say this. I mean, whatever. Whatever actually happened, you know, in the blow by blow, um, credit Berman, right, who I think by making this thing he did successfully leveraged the PR storm into getting Strauss as his successor instead of Carpenito. Mm-hmm. Do you think um, I mean, Barr has way more leeway to fire her under 541. Do you think that uh, she's I mean, from my uh, public reporting today, she's already putting the pedal to the metal if she was if the office wasn't already before. But I mean, is she safe? I, you know, I, if she not legally, but but I think politically she is, because I think, you know, once again, this administration has um, I think it was Ben Wittes who, who coined the term malevolence tempered by incompetence. Um, you know, I think when the best statement they get out of Lindsey Graham is that we're going to adhere to our blue slip policy. <laughs> um, you know, that was a shot across the bow. And so I don't, I don't, but this know. has happened before. It's never stopped them. I, I, I at least I don't have a, a, a recent historical record of political optics being a problem for this administration. That's certainly true. But I do think that, you know, this is an administration that has spent the better part of, of three and a half years being routinely enabled by Republican senators. And the fact that this went down the way it did and they got zero support, um, including from Lindsey Graham, who's the most important player here as the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee. You know, I I don't know if that's a sign of the times or if that's unique to this incident, but it says to me, you know, Barr might at some point try to remove Strauss as he can. But again, as as with what happened Friday and Saturday, you know, the key to me is not necessarily can he remove the person who is next in line. The key is whether he can dictate who follows. And I think that's where he dramatically overplayed his hand Friday night and Saturday and where we're seeing the consequences of it. Yeah, they called his bluff. And, you know, I mean, Barr got away with it with uh, Lou in the the D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office. But but you think you're right because of Berman's chutzpah here, you know, in, in calling the bluff. They might not be able to get away with it a second time. It, you know, not not legally. I mean, again, I think I think legally it would be a fight, as it would have been if they had insisted on Carpenito. Mm-hmm. But I think you know, I mean, I, I I think the silence of the Republican senators here is deafening. Mm-hmm. Um, in a way in which you know, in prior episodes where they've run roughshod over all kinds of the all kinds of similar norms, you know, you've had relatively quick statements of support from the relative you know the relevant players in the Senate Republican leadership. Yep. All right. Well, professor in law at University of Texas School of Law, CNN legal contributor Steve Vladek, thanks for answering my questions today. Always a pleasure, AG. All right, everybody. We'll be right back with Jordan Coburn in the Good News Block, so stay with us. 
Hey everybody, it's AG and this Helping of Daily Beans is brought to you by Sunsoil CBD. From coffee and supplements to even pet treats, CBD is popping up in everything these days. Uh, but it can be confusing and complicated to know how much to dose or what's in it, uh, what's good and what's not, and who can you trust? Those were some of the questions I had, and Sunsoil CBD had all of the answers. With Sunsoil, you know what's in every bottle and exactly where it came from. They are super transparent, and there's no second guessing because they only use ingredients you can understand and trust. Most of their products have just two ingredients, organic hemp and organic organic coconut oil. Uh, transparency and quality control set them apart from the rest. They farm all their own hemp in their Green Mountain Farms of Vermont and extract the CBD themselves, testing for quality and purity at every step. They never use pesticides, herbicides, or GMOs. And because Sunsoil does everything in-house and keeps their products simple, they can offer the highest quality CBD at unbeatable prices. In fact, Sunsoil products are half the price of other ingestible CBD brands. Every Sunsoil product is USDA organic, including their oil drops, soft gels, capsules, and coconut oil. Uh, I usually put a few oil drops in my morning coffee or my smoothie, and I often take a soft gel at night before getting some great sleep. One of the great things about Sunsoil is that as the largest CBD manufacturer to partner with 1% for the planet, they'll be donating 1% of Sunsoil's annual sales to help environmental nonprofits that do good for people, plants, and our planet. Sunsoil removes all the guesswork by making pure and simple CBD products at unbeatable prices. Get 30% off your first order by going to sunsoil.com slash dailybeans. That's sunsoil, S-U-N-S-O-I-L dot com slash dailybeans for 30% off your first order. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we'll float on good news is on the way. And joining me today for the good news is Jordan Coburn. Jordan, how are you? Hello. I'm well. Good. I frequented uh, a local furniture store because I really needed a piece of essential furniture. And that was fun. Mm. That's good. Okay. Yes. I like shopping. Yes. Um, what else? I cleaned my car seats, not for a child, for my own butt. What are those called? <laughs> What are those called? Just, are they called car seats? <laughs> like the right? Uh, I guess they're just called seats. I guess. Yeah, car seats. Wow, we've really stumbled on something here. Even though it is a car seat, a car seat <laughs> almost exclusively refers to a seat for a child. Even though it is just like, what do you call the seat in the car then for the adults? <laughs> wow, we've we've stumbled onto something. You're right. We now need a retronym for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I cleaned those, and that's uh, been my day pretty much. How are you? <laughs> Good. Uh, today is house cleaning day. The house is clean. The bedding is clean. The towels and the bath mats, everything, it's all clean. And um, now I just, as soon as we're done here, I'll make myself clean. And then, because I worked out today. Um, oh, nice. Which, which hurt, but I did it. <laughs> and... I must clean. I must bathe. And so I'm going to do that. Probably maybe I'll have like a bubble bath. Maybe I'll do like some candles and, you know, reflect on the, the good news stories we're about to hear from our listeners and, and just sort of ah, like just have some time, you know? Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely. That sounds nice. It sounds really nice. We have a lot of good news. So excellent. Let's hear it. What do we got? Yes. Okay. So our first new good news is coming from Oh, also just an update for everyone that maybe missed yesterday's episode if you did. We're now uh, inviting people to let us know what their preferred pronouns are when they send in their good news. So if you notice a change, there was a change. 
Okay. Yep. Yep. And your quarantine confessions or corrections, whatever you've got, let us know. Yes, exactly. Uh, okay. So our first good news comes from an anonymous resistor, uh, PGP's she, her. Hey, y'all. I'm writing this late on Saturday night from Crossroads of Osage Creek and Cherokee lands, aka Tulsa, Oklahoma. Is that how you say that? O-S-A-G-E? I say Osage, but... Osage. Okay, thank you. Um, Since the announcement that the world's first indoor super spreader combination hater event would be held here on Juneteenth weekend, (laughs) I've been nervous for my community. The tension was especially high today. As you know by now, the rally was a total joke. I was glued to great citizen reporting and local journalists and live streams and tweets outside of the event. Oklahoma Watch and... uh, read frontier and others for example when the rally dispersed and protesters were at the gates i really feared things would end bloody yikes Uh, 45 didn't get the violence he called for unity happened instead somebody created giant trump slash pig puppets and led the protesters to march the fuck out of there toward historic greenwood black wall street there they proceeded to merge with an epic juneteenth block party there is dancing music speeches more dancing and love there's so much more I could add about how impressed I am with T-Town. We will still have a lot uh, we still have a lot of work, but tonight was beautiful. Also, the aide to GT Bynum, the cowardly Tulsa mayor, publicly resigned today. Next, it is hashtag hmm. Bye Bye Bynum. That's exciting. Oh, like it. Uh, finally, I want to encourage people to contribute to this Rebuild Greenwood campaign. And I'm going to give it to you. It's uh, www. Well, it's just GoFundMe.com slash F slash restore black wall street gofundme.com slash f as in frank slash restore black wall street love the show have listened to every episode of msw and daily beans peace out thank you we love you that's great i'm always wow yeah i think all of us are always looking for for funds that are that have needs that are yeah just timely and unfilled and thank you for giving us and the listeners that fund i'm gonna go check that fund out and give them some dollars today every episode holy majoli <laughs> yeah yeah that is a lot we've done a fuck ton of shit <laughs> about a it's about 150 episodes plus t- 20 19 or 20 msw episodes plus about uh a year's worth of daily beans mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. And then there's all the book club episodes, five books at about six episodes a piece on average is another 30. So that's 200 and then whatever uh, 50 times five is another 250. That's like five. That's like f- between 450 and 500 episodes. Holy majoli. Yeah. yeah, that is a lot. Thank you for being a listener. We appreciate you so much. Thank you for sending your good news in. And I'm so glad that you had a good of experience when you were kind of half expecting something horrendously wrong to happen so yay yeah that has to be a nice relief right you know like just like a huge like weight off your shoulders when you're expecting some shit like that to go down and it doesn't and everyone's awesome that's so great yeah so great all right next up from anonymous pronouns he him he says to the wonderful ladies of the daily beans i am a longtime listener of muller she wrote in the daily beans and i have some personal good news to share I have been working in the area of youth mental health research for the last three to four years, and on Friday, I passed my PhD viva. This is personally a massive achievement for me as I was a college dropout and I went back to university as a mature student. 
Over the years, I have felt the building pressure of watching many of my friends move down a pretty linear path from college to work to marriage to family, etc. Within research, there's a, there's a lack of job stability, hence why this pressure has weighed on me from time to time. I have sometimes wondered if I had made the correct decision at all going back to university. Passing the PhD Viva has given me a lot of clarity and time to reflect on my achievements. In the last few years, I've had several papers published in some of the most impactful psychiatry journals in the world. Last year, I wrote a grant with my PhD supervisor that will fund me to work on a project for the next four years, relatively unheard of as a postdoc. And I was part of a team of researchers that has just secured 1.4 million euros for a project looking at the prediction of psychosis. These achievements have been hard fought, but finally, I feel like I have found my calling. I guess in short, all I want to say is it is never too late to follow your dreams. The doubts come from time to time, but they will pass. Do not, without a warrant, second guess yourself. Some paths are long and windy, but if you're enjoying the ride, stick with it. None of this would have been possible without the wonderful, unwavering support of my partner, Linda, and my family in general. Sneaky quarantine confession. I have become far too comfortable sending Linda, who is working from home in the next room, funny gifts while I am taking a poo on the toilet. <laughs> okay. Anywho, this morning, I have had a champagne breakfast and a beer in the shower. Thank you for the idea, Mandy, to celebrate the achievements. I wanted to thank you, ladies, because even if you don't know it, you have kept me pretty sane over the past three years. Thank you. Congratulations. Oh. So, 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 so wonderful. Um, uh, PhD Viva is uh, here. We call that the uh, oral defense of your dissertation. Um, I, yeah, that's a really amazing um, accomplishment. And I totally, I'm with you. I, you know, I, damn, I didn't go back to school to get my PhD until I was 37. So, yeah. Late in life, and then that that oral that oral defense is is a toughie. So, wow, congratulations, and amazing the work you're doing. Yes, totally, and I just love that. It's like I totally feel that I'm 27, and like I mean, you know, this whole thing's going pretty well. But there's comedy and stuff is starting to work out in this career path. But for like a long time, I was kind of just wandering around and you know trying different stuff and and it's like it's a really kind of shitty feeling sometimes when you're looking around at your friends you know my roommates were like just ever since I had a, I had a fucking roommate who was an engineering major who while he was getting his engineering major also started interning at, at a law firm where he was doing the engineering calculations to help the law firm determine how far pieces of a car had like flown from a scene at an accident to determine, you know, basically like what part of the car failed exactly. And he was doing all of this <sighs> shit. And then after that, he decides to go to law school immediately after graduating. And then he goes to law school, graduates at like the top of his class and then starts working for a law firm. And it's just like, it's fucking hard seeing these people that have it's like it seems like every single move they make was just like the perfect most timely move and you start to wonder like man is there something wrong with me why am I so lost so I completely can empathize with you on that feeling of you know knowing and feeling like you've you've arrived and that's so 
so cool. And I really love the message that you gave us and all of our listeners just now. So thank you. Yes. Congratulations. Yes. Congrats. Appeal behind the curtain. We had to redo your segment because when I first read it, I said, PhD, viva, because I thought it was an exclamation <laughs> of celebration. And then when I saw it again, I was like, oh, we have to record this. This is actually what it's called. <laughs> it's actually called PhD, viva. <laughs> ah, right. I love you. <laughs> I love you, too. Yeah, I defended... Uh, I, sorry to interrupt. I defended my dissertation uh, from Hawaii on vacation via like an online, you know, remotely. And I was wearing a, you know, a blazer business business on top. But on the bottom, I had uh, a, like a rainbow tutu and and like knee high boots. Uh, so that was that was my uh, oral it. defense of my dissertation. Very on so. brand. Love it so much. Mm. So badass. Um, next up from Mike in Ohio, pronouns he, him. This is actually an old good news confession slash confession I wrote down and have been sitting on. My wife and I have been setting out drinks in a cooler along with bags of chips for delivery and mail. Oh, that's so nice. I love people that do that. We're both fortunate in that our employment has not been curtailed by the conditions. There are refreezable ice packs below the drinks, so we just bring the cooler in at night and put the drinks back in the fridge, ice packs back in the freezer. Every time we get a delivery, I go out and check what they took and share the news with my wife. Today, the mail lady took Lay's chips and a Diet Coke, and the FedEx driver took a Blue Gatorade and Cool Ranch Doritos. Nice. I'm a FedEx guy. Mm. I love that combo. Uh, One day last (laughs) month after a FedEx delivery, I went out on the porch and saw the driver in his truck across the street taking a short break, eating pretzels and drinking pineapple Jarritos? Is that what, how you pronounce that? J-A-R-R-I-T-O-S? I'm not sure. Oh, I know. I, that's I've never like heard of soda. it. Okay, I totally know what that, that is. I'm just white as fuck, so my apologies. Um, UPS drivers always write thank you in big letters on the sorry we missed you post-it note. Additionally, our cat hangs out underneath the table. We get Amazon delivery <laughs> photos with our cat in them, so I'm pretty sure that other delivery people say hi to Pippin when they arrive. Now we can cut it off there for good news, or we can add this sentence for a quarantine confession. I like that he gives us options. Um, My confession is that occasionally I get DoorDash, not because I'm lazy or want a chicken sandwich, but because I want to brighten the day of another delivery person with a cold drink. Oh, God! This is what I would stand up and run around my living room with how fucking nice that is. Oh, my God, I love that. (laughs) just ordering just just to be able to give something to somebody i love it oh i love, I love that so much good person mike thank you all right and next up from nikki pronoun she her um my grandpa passed away in february 2017 before finishing his last painting Grandma gave me the painting, the photo he was inspired by, and the frame he had selected, hoping I could finish it. I worked on it a bit, but was too sad to keep going when Grandpa passed away in October 2018. As it turns, uh, a Grandma passed away in in October 2018. As it turns out, the project was always meant to be finished by my incredibly artistic daughters. My 16-year-old asked if she could finish the painting as part of her final art assignment for school. She invited her 14-year-old sister to help with a few of the of the flowers. My oldest spent hours upon hours to bring everything together into a final product, multi-generations of love in one painting. She added poppies because we always called our grandpa Poppy. 
She also added his signature next to ours. Now the painting will hang at my mom's. Her daughter and granddaughters finished up her dad's last masterpiece. Holy crap. That is like the sweetest thing we've ever gotten. <laughs> That's so wow. sweet. Thank you, Nikki. For sharing that, hmm. what? Do, that's amazing. Um, I send. A, I'd love to see a photo of it. You should. They should send send us a photo. Yeah, definitely. So sweet. Um. Okay. And finally, from Claire, she her Claire says on Saturday, cyclists participated in the hashtag Ride for Justice. Whereas most years, cyclists celebrate the longest day of sunlight during the year by going on a long bike ride. This year, the San Francisco Cycling Club, which has a reach all the way through California, posted a challenge on Strava, a social media app for athletes who share their activities, called the Ride for Justice Challenge. The ask was for cyclists to ride on Saturday as far as they could, but at least 15 miles, upload the ride to Strava, and redeem the reward for completing the challenge by donating a dollar for every mile ridden, or whatever dollar amount per mile the cyclist could afford. The proceeds were all donated to the Equal Justice Initiative. Cyclists riding on behalf of the San Francisco Cycling Club, plus a handful of other individual riders, raised over $90,000, even though it was my first time riding in Los Angeles since moving from the safe streets, uh, safe cycling streets of San Francisco. I swallowed my fear of big city riding and hit up 20 miles. Yes! When I completed my own donation, my eyes teared up to see that my little $20 donation was just a drop in the $90,000 bucket Way to go, athletes. Thanks for your show. Uh, always inspiring me to do what I can to help the greater good. I know that daily listening to your show was a big inspiration in completing this challenge over my fear of getting hit by cars. Thanks, Beans. Uh, Yay, Claire! Yeah, nice. Claire, you are very brave for riding your bicycle in Los Angeles. <laughs> yes. I will tell you that now. Um, I lived there, tried to ride my bike to work because it was only a couple miles away. Holy majoli. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's uh, a super amazing and I, I I can't even imagine how great it must have been to like see that $90,000 figure mm-hmm. and just you know be a part of it that's so great yeah yeah absolutely thank you um, that makes me feel really 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 good to hear that listening to us helps people you know, try to be like stronger and more present in their daily lives. That's p- pretty much the biggest compliment I think you could pay me personally. So I'm so glad hmm. that that's the effect that our show has had on you. And thank you for sharing that with us sincerely. Um, fucking love the skaters, dude. They came out in full blast this weekend. They were everywhere. They were rolling through yeah. San Diego too. It was like really, really, really cool. It was really nice. And it was really nice to see a bunch of people on skateboarders that weren't just like idiots that were trying to bash in windows like I had seen at other protests. <laughs> so that was nice. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, awesome. I, I saw, I watched so much video footage of that going down 6th Avenue um, in front of Balboa Park. I've got, you know, there's so many people who live up in those more, those more high rise buildings that run down um, the west side of 6th of Avenue. It was mm-hmm. just so incredible to see. Absolutely. Well, those are our good news bits for today, everybody. Thank you for sending those in, and we will uh, be back tomorrow with some more. Yes, absolutely. And then if you have some quarantine confessions, you can send them into the same place. Just hit up our website, which is either the dailybeanspod.com or com or quarantineconfessionspod.com. Uh, and uh, you'll see it all there in the contact information. And um, 
you can send us your your stuff. And again, let us know if you're not anonymous and share your pronouns with us if you prefer, if you, you know, if you want to, you don't have to. And um, that's it. Thank you so much. What a great, great news, good news uh, block that was. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Yes, it was. Thank you, everybody. Love you. Any final thoughts before we... Uh, oh, God. Every time this comes up, I say no. And then as soon as we get off, I'm like, fuck, I wanted to say that one thing. But <laughs> for now, it's just another day in the land of All groundhogs. Right. I got nothing. <laughs> awesome. Well, everyone, thank you again so much uh, for listening. We will see you tomorrow. Until then, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet and take care of your mental health. I've been AG. I've been Jordan Coburn. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by A.G. and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by A.G., Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com. <laughs>